Father God, we are grateful. We're grateful for the opportunity to be here. We're grateful for the opportunity to be your children. And in a special way, we're grateful for the fact that your Holy Spirit continues to guide and direct as we open your word and as we consider what it means to be your daughters, to be living for you. We ask that your spirit would guide us. We ask that our hearts and our minds might be open to your leading. Father, take me, cleanse me, use me. May you be the one who speaks. May you be the one that does the work. And we promise that you will be the one that gets all of the glory. We thank you and we love you. Amen. When you think of yourself, and in a minute here I'm going to start walking around, I can tell. When you think of yourself as a daughter of the king, when you think of yourself as God's child, what does that mean to you? What does it feel like? What does it mean? That you're special. Anybody else? I'm a teacher, so I'm going to walk around, and a minute later, I'm probably going to get the board. But you feel special. Taken care of. Anything else? Special, taken care of. Part of something. Beloved. Okay. Joyful. Cherished. Changed. Peace. I'm loving these answers, by the way. I'm absolutely loving these answers. Is there anything difficult about being the daughter of the king? Are there any challenges for you about being the daughter of the king? Okay, that got even more of a response than the first question. What kinds of challenges do you face as a daughter of the king? Okay, properly reflecting him. What else? Thank you. Trusting him. Expectations as in yours, his, someone else's. Okay, God's, yours. Can I add to that other people's? Yes. Submitting and obeying. I see I have sisters in the room. What else? Surrendering. Surrendering. If you were talking to someone else who did not know what it meant to be a daughter of the king, where would you start them? Where would you begin your explanation of what it means to be a daughter of the king? You would talk about your father. In what way? Okay. And where would you start that conversation? Okay. 
So he is the creator, he's the owner, and you talk about us in relationship to him, to the vastness of who he is. When I first, and this was probably about a year ago, that I was asked for the first time to talk about being a woman of God, and you know, for many years I just refused those invitations. I, th- I just don't do women's stuff. I'm happy to come and preach, I'm happy, but I don't do women's stuff. And somebody called, they asked me to come, we, I said I would come, we had, went through all of that, and then she told me what she wanted to talk about. She said, talk about being a woman of God and talk about Proverbs 31. And those of you who've heard me on Audioverse know that I am not the Proverbs 31 woman in the sense of what I believed that was growing up. Okay. I don't speak quietly in a meek voice. I don't consider myself to... And that's what I thought she was. This very quiet, meek woman who cooked all the time and you know, stayed home and took care of her children and so forth and so on. I was like, Lord, that's not me. How can I go out and speak if that's not me? I don't have any children to rise up and call me blessed. You know how children sit in church? And folk, let's be very careful of what we do with our children. Talk to our kids about what they hear. Because what they hear may not be what we think we're teaching. I don't know that anybody meant to teach me that. But I do know that it's what I heard. And I know it's what stood with me for a very long time in my life about what God wanted from me. And when I thought I couldn't be that person, I just gave up. I figured, you know what, I'll just be who I am because I can't be who she is and oh well, I don't know what God is going to say about that. Well, none of us need to live in that space. And one of the things that I learned as I got ready, I said, you know, so often we start the story about being God's child in strange places. In fact, we don't start the story about being a woman of God with being God's child. Think about it as you grew up. What kinds of messages did you get growing up about what it meant to be a godly woman? Do you remember? I won't ask, do you feel comfortable to share? I'm watching some of your faces already, and I'm seeing that. Yeah, I remember, and I'm not going to (laughs) tell. And that's okay. This is a safe space. But when you think about those messages and what they were about, if you were like me, a lot of those original messages was about what the godly woman does and does not do. Yeah? You know, if you're a godly woman, you dress like this. If you're a godly woman, you don't do this. If you're a godly woman, you do this. And that was the story that I heard. And it is true that women of God do things differently from people who are not daughters of God. But is that the place that it begins? A daughter is a daughter because? Because of her parents. Right? You cannot talk about a daughter without talking about parent. And I'd like to suggest to us, because I think it's the only place to begin, that when you're talking about being a woman of God, you begin with being a daughter. You begin with the question of identity. The question is, who am I? And the question is, what makes me so? Who am I and why? In fact, I talked just this last week, actually, to a counselor. We're working on a problem with a student. 
And he said, you know, there is one basic existential question for human beings, and that is, who am I? And the question is, do I do what I do because of who I am, or am I who I am because I do what I do? Did I just confuse you? Okay. All right. He said, that is the fundamental question. And much of what I do in therapy has to do with that question. Who am I? Where did I come from to get here? And do I do what I do because of who I am? Or am I who I am because of what I do? And as the body of Christ, we need to be very careful not to define ourselves as we are who we are because of what we do. We do what we do because of who we are. And who we are involves whose we are. And you know who you are by going to the very beginning. What does Scripture tell us about who you are? Go back with me to the beginning. Let's look at Genesis. Let's look at Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3. Can you find anything in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 that tells you who you are? And if so, where is it? Find the text for me. Read the text out loud. Is there anything in Genesis that tells you who you are? Okay, what was the text for that? Genesis 1.26, where God says, let us make man in our image. Now, we're talking about being daughters of the king, okay? Text says, let us make man in our image. What about us? Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female created he them. I'm so glad that verse 27 is there. Verse 26 is important, and we probably should have gotten it from verse 26. But God knows us. So he gave us verse 27. He said, let us make man in our image, in the image of us, the Godhead. And then he said that he made man in his image, male and female. What does that say to you? What does that mean to you? That we were made female in the image of God. Isn't that what the word says? What does it mean? In his likeness. I was made in the image of God. I was made in God's likeness. In what way were you created in the likeness of God? You didn't expect to work this afternoon, did you? Well, I worked this morning. We'll both work this afternoon. In what way were you created in the image of God? What did you have from the very beginning that is in God's image? Okay? From the very beginning, going back to Eden, male and female were created perfect. Okay. And we know that since that time to now, that perfection has degraded. Can we agree with that? That over time, that perfection has degraded. When you were born, what did you have 
that was in the image of God? Were you born in the image of God in any way? Well, I'm getting lots of yes, yes, okay. Then we're on that page together. Tell me how. In what way when you were born? What did you have of God's image when you were born? Feelings. Feelings? Okay, and we know that God has feelings. Okay. He loves, he hurts, he cries. We know God has feelings. What else? Reasoning. The ability to think, to decide, to figure out. What else? The power to choose. Anything else? The potential to create. And we all have it. The ability to create. What you create or choose to create may be different from what I create. Right? But we all have them. All four of them in the image of God. Now, did men get more of them than we did? Did we get more than they got? Okay. We all got the image of God. Okay. Why is that such an important place to begin? Why is that fundamental, and I'm going to argue that it is, fundamental to the experience of every Christian, but even more so for women? What is it about the fact that we were made in his image, male and female, and that brought with it feelings, reasoning, choice, and the ability to create? Pardon me? In what way? It talks about who we are and what we were given. And that's important for us to note because in history, there have been lots of other models about who we are. Who women are and what they were given. You're familiar that there was a time in history where people believed that women could not reason. Right? It was no point sending them to school. They should not vote because they did not have the power to reason and therefore did not have the right to choose. And that has been a historical argument in this culture, but it continues to be an argument in many cultures of the world. To what degree are women able to reason and to what degree can they choose? And what is the worth of what women create? There are many cultures where women's work, women's creation are considered less than men's, yes? Well, if you don't think so in this culture, when I pull out my knitting, sitting somewhere, I get the most interesting reactions. Perhaps the most interesting was one of my students who said to me, you know what, don't you have a PhD? And I said, yes. And she said, and you knit? And I said, yes. And she said, but isn't that a woman thing? <laughs> and so my next question was, what do you mean by woman thing? And she proceeded to give me a very interesting discussion. And we're talking about the last couple of years we had this conversation. A very interesting discussion about the kinds of work that's not valued, that does not generate certain kinds of income, so forth and so on. And what it turned out to really be a discussion not about knitting, but about her concept of woman's work, the things that are valued less in society. 
Does that still exist? That concept of there is woman's work and woman's work is valued less? Talk to anybody who chooses to be a stay-at-home mom. And she's going to get a reaction from somebody, somewhere, sometime. She's just a stay-at-home mom. Okay? Wasting the God-given abilities to create, to choose, to reason, so forth and so on. Now, my friends who have children tell me that you use these moment by moment every day when you're home raising your kids. Never mind about managing a home. But it becomes very important to understand that in the beginning, God created male and female in his image. So whatever it is that other philosophies tell us, whatever it is that other movements tell us, the first thing we know is that we were created in his image and in that image, we have the ability to reason and to choose, and we are expected by God to reflect his image. And part of that is the ability to reason and choose, which means that you can for yourself, which we know, but not all women know, open God's word, interpret God's word, choose to follow God's word. We take that for granted. But I want us to understand that there are still women, and I've met some of them, who believe that the word of God must be interpreted to and for them by someone else. And that is a very scary place for a person to find themselves. That someone who doesn't understand that their primary identity has already given them some things that cannot be taken away. I'm not going to talk about abuse right now. But for those of you who may know or may be in a situation related to abuse, one of the fundamental sins in abusive relationships is it seeks to erase and not acknowledge the image of God in the person being abused, male or female. Do you understand that? That that is a fundamental sin for any of us to look at another human being and fail to acknowledge that they also are created in the image of God. What else does your Bible tell you about who you are? You were created in God's image, and as such, you have rights and abilities. What else? What else does your Bible tell you about who you are? Is there anywhere else besides Genesis that talks about your identity and who you are? And if so, where? Now, I love that I came to Advent Hope because they tell me that people here study the Word, and they're deep in the Word, so I can ask questions and get these things from you. Okay. What does that mean to you? That God saw it and it was very good. And I love the fact that it wasn't just good. Because yeah, good is okay. 
But when God says, very good, I'm trying to comprehend that. When God looks at something and says, you know, this is more than okay. This is more than good. This is very good. What is very good on God's scale compared to my scale? What does it mean that God looked at the woman that he had created, because that was part of his creation, and said, very good. What does it mean? I'll wait you out. Ask the question again. I'll ask the question again. God looked at his creation, part of his creation were women, and part of his creation is you. And God looked at what he had created and he said it was very good. What does that mean? He was satisfied. What else? mean to you? Does it matter? Does it have anything to do with your identity? God doesn't make junk. And understand that one of the things that we are told by the pen of inspiration is that part of what education does is restore in man the image of God. So it means that we started at very good, we're going back to very good. So wherever you are right now, as long as you are committed to God, you are in process to very good. That means that I don't need to hang my head. Doesn't matter where I've been, in Christ I am in process to very good. And the Bible says that the work that he has begun in us, he will complete in us. Have you had days where you feel like junk? Where you're sure that you're not all of that and you're not worth much? The days when you weren't able to finish what you started? The days when you can't do it the way you planned to do it? And on those days, I would urge you to be reminded that God started you in his creation at very good. And he is in process of restoring you to very good. He did not say some of us. You know, it was very good except the defective ones. Do you realize God has no defective ones in his ecology? There is nothing that he created, including you, that from his perspective was created defective. Is that important? How many women do you know who consider themselves defective? Should I have asked how many women here consider themselves defective? If I ask you to list the ways in which you are defective, you can give me a list. But you know what, when I ask you to list the ways in which you are very good or in process to very good, I get 
silence. I get blank stares. Why is that? Did God say it? I mean, someone tell me if we're off track here so we can get back on. Did God say so? Why is it so hard for us to believe it? Why is it so hard for me to believe that with all the limitations, with all the flaws, God looks down at his children and he sees not only what you are, but what you are becoming. And that becoming is real to him. See, part of the problem for us is it's not real to us. Who we are now is very real. Yeah? You understand that very well. How much time do you spend thinking about the woman that God sees when he looks at you covered in his blood? What would it feel like to walk like that woman? What would it feel like to carry yourself like that woman? Would it change something for you? It would be visible. We're invisible. And that's a scary thing for people that God has given work to do. It's hard for invisible people to do his work. And many of us are struggling with the doing because we still haven't gotten together on the being. We don't understand who we are. Women who are defective have to fix things. Women who are defective have to rearrange things. Women who are in process to very good can stand in the power of their father. What else do you know about your identity? And we're not going to spend the whole time on identity. But what else do you know about your identity? Because that is so vital for women who have been told two distinct lies about who they are. Lie number one is you are not enough. And there are all kinds of versions of you are not enough. And there is a truth to you are not enough, which is by yourself, you are not enough. But daughters of the king are always enough in their father. Don't let anybody tell you for whatever it is, about whatever it is, that you are not enough. The other lie is that we are enough by ourselves. That lie is a response to the previous lie. Generations of women have been treated as if they were not enough. And much of feminism as we know it in its negative forms is an attempt to solve a real problem. The problem is what women have been told about themselves, and the other problem is how women have been treated. And so the answer is to decide that we are more than enough, and we can do it. We've got what it takes, and we can do it. And that scares Christians because they know that's not true. We need to be very careful. Neither of those extremes is biblical. The Bible says we can do all things through Christ. Both parts count. We can do all things through Christ. You are enough in him. 
you will be enough through him. And even if creation was all we had, it would be enough to make you worth something. What else do you have besides creation? Okay, I love verses. Psalms 144, 12. Our daughters as polished cornerstones. I love that text. What do you know about a cornerstone? Pardon me? It holds up the whole, you pull the cornerstone, the building's gonna fall apart, okay? What else do you know about a cornerstone? Christ was a cornerstone. Cornerstones are planted deep in order to hold the building. They don't waver. They don't move all over the place. They're strong. And when the scripture says, your daughters, we will be like polished cornerstones. Those of us who have been taught that women, by definition, are weak, what does the scripture say? The cornerstone holds up the whole structure. And there are structures that Christ wants to build on us. There are structures that he's building on individual men, and there are structures that he's building on individual women. Many of our homes, our children's foundation lies in us as one of the cornerstones. And if that thing wobbles, the building falls. But God says, we don't have to be wobbly. Have you ever felt wobbly? Have you ever felt wavering? Lord, why is it that I'm here and then I'm here and then I'm here? And he says, no. One of the things that I offer you, Psalms 144 verse 12, daughters, strong, solid, planted daughters. How would your life change if you saw yourself as a polished cornerstone, holding up the work that God is building on the foundation he laid in you. How would that change your life? Would it? Or you could tell me, you can say, you know, I know that about myself already. I move in that kind of God confidence. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes. Did you hear what she said? Because I think it's very profound. She said, if normal teenage girls understood this, the rate of teenage pregnancy would go down. And I'm going to agree. I'm going to suggest to you that a lot of the problems that we're trying to fix at the level of what people do need to be fixed at the level of helping people understand who they are. If our young women knew who they were in Christ Jesus, one, they would embrace him more because they would appreciate who he made us to be. But secondly, many of the things that ensnare and entrap and pull us our way, we are open to because our foundation, our identity is shaky. 
So what we do here in talking about who we are, we do for our daughters. Because mothers who don't know who they are raise daughters who don't know who they are. And women who don't know who they are spend their lives trying to find themselves. And where do they look? Where are women trying to find themselves? Real question, not rhetorical. Men, work, appearance. I'm sorry? Relationships, including sexuality, drugs of various types. Do you understand the connection between identity and behavior? If I know who I am in Christ, I don't have to fix myself elsewhere. But you know what? Our identity is established a couple of other places as well. At Calvary, when Christ died, who did he die for? Who did Christ die for? You. You. All by yourself. Do you get that? Christ died for the entire world, and we like to talk about how Christ died for the entire world. And I'm grateful that he died for the entire world. But you know what? What really, really works for me is that Christ died for me. Christ died for you. Who does that make you? That the God of the universe thought you were worth enough to give up all that he had. And it's one thing when I think about Christ on the cross, but have you ever thought about God the Father as his son was dying? That the gift that God the Father gave to give us, for us, his child, how many of you have children? Who are you going to give your child away for? Who are you willing to give your child away for? Somebody, surely there's somebody you love enough. It's not complicated. That person will die if you don't kill your kid. Ready? What do you mean? Why would you not want to give your child? Do you understand what God the Father did? Because I think we just say it sometimes and we just kind of move right on. Do you understand that he gave up his child? And because the Godhead is more than father, son, as we understand it, he gave up an integral part of himself voluntarily for you. Just you. Not you and your husband. You. What he did for your husband, he did separately. This he did for you. How much does that make you worth? And we can so casually mistreat what he paid that price for. How well are you taking care of his prize? How well are you taking care of this thing that he bought 
with all that he has. My mother used to say, when I would say things about myself, stop talking about the Lord's beloved that way. She was right. She was right. We do not have the right to talk about or treat God's beloved that way. Isaiah 43, those of you who know me will sooner or later hear me quote Isaiah 43, my absolute favorite text in the Bible, or actually several of my favorite texts in the Bible are in Isaiah 43. And we're used to the first part, when you walk through the waters, I'll be with you, when you walk through the fire, so forth and so on. But I want you to go to verse 4 for a minute and listen to God speak to you. Well, go to verse 3. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I'm going to read it in two versions. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give man in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee, since thou was precious in my sight. Thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. A whole country for you. A whole nation with all of its riches, and Egypt was known for its riches, for you. Not the woman sitting next to you, not your mother, not your cousin, not any of the men in your life, because that's a different relationship. You. What kind of clothes do you put on the woman that he bought with everything? What do you feed her? How do you treat her when she messes up? Do you remind yourself that this is God's beloved? This is his precious one? The one that is closest to his heart? Who was bought with his blood? He created us. He redeemed us. We're precious in his sight. That's who you are. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. Discussions about marriage and singleness and everything else is secondary to that. Who are you again? You are his daughter, his beloved, and the bride he is waiting for. How many of you are married? How many of you remember your wedding day? You know, different question, obviously. I love weddings, but for other reasons. Weddings are great places to people watch. <laughs> Interesting things happen at weddings. But the thing I like to watch most because it reveals all kinds of things, is the guy's face when the woman's coming down the aisle. Don't worry about the bride. Y'all busy looking back there to look at the bride. The real story is the guy. Okay? Because he's been up there and he's fiddling and trying to look like he's not nervous. Okay? 
And you're like, mm, mm, you know? And, you know, really serious face, you know, and he's looking really. And, you know, friends of yours who are serious people anyway are the best. Because, uh, <clears throat> it's fine, everything's going well. Look at the brother, look at the brother. You know, it's going well. Then they open the doors, and the music starts. And she starts coming down the aisle, and the whole congregation is watching her. Okay? And he's standing up there. <laughs> Smile all over the place. Eyes all lit up. Okay? And the tear is just a little bit just right here. And you know he can't, he can't do anything about that. Because it's not a manly thing. See, this is why the guys weren't supposed to be here. Um, so, you know, here he is. And he's watching her walk, and it's not bad when she's back there. But let her get to the middle, where he can really see her eyes, and where she's looking at him now because she stopped looking at all the other people. And the two, she's walking down, and she's looking at him. And he's looking at her. And he's just lit up, just lit up. And when I go to weddings where he doesn't light up that way, I'm praying hard. Because <laughs> I'm concerned. When Christ says, you are my bride, what he means is he thinks of you and his face lights up. He thinks of you and he breaks into joy. And at times, there's that one little tear in the corner of his eye. This is my beloved and she's coming to me. Every time you come to him, every single time you come to him, he gets the same expression on his face. There's never a time that you're coming to him that he's not just lit up with joy. My bride, my beloved is coming to me. Yes, we're weak. Yes, we're broken. Yes, we're struggling but we need not to forget that we are the beloved, that you are the daughter of a king with all that that entails. I'm not going to talk anymore about identity. I think you heard it. And some of you felt it. Don't lose it. Allow your father to remind you daily who you are. Once you know who you are, in him. You can continue to learn who he is. This morning I talked about seeing yourself. I talked about seeing God. And I talked about seeing others. And in that process we talked about having God's DNA. Knowing that we are a part of him. Knowing that we are loved by him. That we share who he is. List for me quickly what you would consider the aspects that are God's DNA. What is it about God that is central to who he is? Okay? We can be clear on one. Bible says God is love. Anything else? Patience. Truth. Wisdom. Compassion. Justice, holy, 
And whenever I say justice, the next word that comes to mind is mercy. What else? Okay. As an expression of his love. And understand that. That the law defines God only as an expression of his love. Because we have sometimes separated his law from his love. And then we misrepresent him. He did not send us law as an existence of its own. He sent us law as a manifestation of his love. Because it is the law that allows us to live his love. And it is the law in many ways that protects us from our own madness. When you talk about the Ten Commandments, we talk about do and don't. But do you realize the protection that we are given in the law that reflects his love. And if we would teach our children how the law is about love, their rebellions might be different. And so you can make a list, and I looked at the fruits of the Spirit as part of my list of what it is God is as the picture of God. And then I thought, God gave me his DNA. I am his child. Have you ever gone down the list? and looked at yourself one by one, what did you decide? You decided you came short. And then what happened? And then you got discouraged. Isn't that what often happens with the law? We look at the law, we don't measure up, and we get discouraged. What is the purpose of the law? to show us ourselves, bring us to Christ that we might be. Why is it that we only see what we're not and what the law tells us about who we're becoming, we miss? When you see the law, when you see God's DNA, and you say, Father, I do not yet accurately reflect it, why are we discouraged? How many of you have seen little kids, two, three-year-olds? When you have a little three-year-old, and I had a three-year-old for a while as a foster daughter, when you have a three-year-old, and you give the three-year-old a task to do, and the task is a little bit beyond the three-year-old, okay? And the three-year-old doesn't make it. Or they choose a task to do, which is even more often the case. Mommy, mommy, I'll do it. She can't do it. And so she tries, and she bombs big time. And you grab that little kid and say, what is the matter with you? Why didn't you do it right? Isn't that what you do as a good mother? Why is it that we think that we are better mothers than God is a father? Do you know how much older, bigger, wiser, greater he is than you? When you look at your three-year-old and she's messing up, She's not able to do it. What do you see? Most of you see the fact that one day she will. And you're already busy figuring out how you're going to help her grow into the woman that you see. Yes? Why do you expect less from your father than you do from yourself? And why would we not want to see ourselves with his eyes? I have learned to come to my father and say, Daddy, your three-year-old messed up again. 
She can't do it yet. Thank you for helping me to learn how to do it better. Thank you for growing me so that one day I'll look like you. Will I mess up again tomorrow on something? Maybe not the same thing, but you know, sometimes the same thing. When your three-year-old messes up again, is she no longer growing? Sometimes she's messing up because she is growing. Are you with me? Is this making sense to you? Because if the women are not able to understand who God is and who we are becoming in him, what will happen to the rest? What will happen to the young woman coming behind us? What will happen to the children if we don't get it and we can't share it?